What's up, everybody? And welcome back to the Sex and Self podcast, a place where you can learn a little bit about sex and hopefully a lot about yourself. We have one of my dream guests who I have been floating around in Remy's DMs for a year and just waiting for a response. And luckily, <laughs> you know, I've, uh, <laughs> I finally got one. Uh, Yay! <laughs> so we have Remy Kashimir. Did I say it right? Casimir. Casimir. Yeah. Yeah. Remy is a comedian, an actor, and an amazing podcaster of her podcast, How Come, where she started her podcast because she didn't have an orgasm. And now you did. I did. Yeah. I actually did it really early in the podcast, too. So, like, I think it was like episode six that I blew my load. Actually, I know that for a fact. It was episode six that I blew my load. And, uh, I thought I'd have to finish the podcast because like, oh, I I accomplished what I set out to do. But then there was so much more that I wanted to do so much more that I wanted to normalize for other people because, you know, that's what the podcast did for me. It wasn't just give me an orgasm. It gave me like a sense of community and camaraderie and like other people saying we're going through the same thing as you. So, yeah, we're fucking season five now. Congratulations. I know y'all just launched. So I'm I'm so excited to. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I'm pumped for this season. It will be a good time. Do you want to kind of give people, you know, the idiots who don't know who you are, uh, like an update on what you're doing, uh, where you're located and yeah, tell them where to find the podcast? Um, Yeah, so where I'm located, not even my best of friends know, not even I know. I am living nowhere right now, post-pandemic life. I am nomadic and not mad about it, honestly. Um, It's been nice. But um, yeah, pre-pandemic, I was New York City stand-up comedian. Still, I'm a stand-up comedian. I travel around doing that. Um, And I was living with my grandmother uh, for the majority of starting the podcast completing all of the assignments. That's how the podcast was initially structured is um, I I really wanted to be held accountable for like trying to have an orgasm. I was 28 years old. I was like, I haven't done it at this point. Like I need to try and I need to like do something that's going to make me do the assignments. Cause like people would tell me in normal life when they found out, they'd be like, Oh, you need to do this. And most often than not, I would give up during their assignment or just not do it because I was like, oh, my body's broken. I'm just one of those people who doesn't come, um, which I thought was way more common than it actually is. Um, And so I was like, okay, yeah, this will be a good idea to hold me accountable. I'll have people give me assignment on the podcast that I have to complete for the next time. Um, And then also, and this is something we still do, we ask everybody about their first time coming story because it's so different from like I don't know anything you would see in a romantic comedy or porn or something. Um, most often it's people alone and discovering themselves. And <clears throat> that was something that I had to learn via the podcast was, Oh, I'm going to unlock me. I can't like wait for somebody else to just like have magical fingers or a magical dick. Um, magical dicks don't exist. They don't exist because like truly, and this was one of the most interesting things I learned, uh, only eight to 25% of people with vulvas can come from just penetration alone. Everybody else needs external clitoral stimulation of some type or like other erogenous zones stimulated. Um, And that is because of the structure of the clitoris. You'll notice I said the external clitoris and not the inside. Um, Your listeners might already know this, but I didn't know that there's no such thing as a vaginal orgasm. 
what's happening is an internal clitoral orgasm because the clitoris isn't just a little bump that you see. It goes four inches back inside the body. And then it basically like a cowboy with like big bulbous legs, it straddles the vaginal opening. Right. If, can you picture it? Oh yeah. And, um, so when somebody's having a vaginal orgasm, it's because the skin is so close to like of the vaginal walls is so close to that bulbous leg. And so the clitoris is getting rubbed from the inside. It's getting engorged. It's a clitoral orgasm from the inside. And the people who think that they can't achieve that, it might just be because your cowboy is doing a straddle, you know, like that's how he is or she is, or they are, uh, positioned their legs don't go down or whatever. Sometimes if you rub the head on the outside, it can engorge the legs and it'll make it closer so that it makes it more achievable. But if it's not achievable, it's not anything you're doing wrong. It's just how your body is shaped. And there's way other great ways to have orgasms using that little head. Well, I'm so happy you got there. I really, oh, me too. I'm surprised <laughs> I didn't kill anyone before. Like you were 28 talking... years with no cum. <laughs> well, you're talking Insane. about thinking, like asking people when their first orgasm one is, and I, I was probably like eight or something. Yeah. Like that's a what, child. <laughs> like the majority of people, not majority, but way more than I expected were like below 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And it's like usually from like, a weird hump that yeah humping a sofa or a pillow or like rubbing um one of our guests wendy said she rubbed like her clit on her heel like she was like sitting like just like oh my uh, gosh like with your knees with your knees under your body yeah exactly and then just rubbing on her heel or whatever and she was so young and a lot of it isn't even like that they are like sexually charged or anything it's like self-soothing yeah, it's well, it's interesting because my like adult job is teaching mm-hmm. and I teach grade one. I see these kids touching their vaginas all and, day. And mamas all day. They don't care. They're like, yeah, oh, it's nice. Yeah. And if you don't have people telling them that, oh my God, that's totally okay, just do it in private. Or it's like, oh my God, that's totally okay. Just don't touch anybody else's. Like they can go off and have totally like healthy lives. Whereas like, I had a kid grab my crotch in first grade and I punched him in the face. And then I got sent to the principal because I was too embarrassed to tell them why I did that. Oh my God. Yeah. When I should have been like, he grabbed my Jiny. Oh my God. And she did not want to be grabbed. Actually, he's the original Donald Trump. He was grabbing pussies in first grade. <laughs> Holy shit. Not to bring it to that, but I feel like the subject matter kind of works today, what we're going to be going into. Yeah, honestly, kind of a perfect (laughs) segue. Uh, Not where I thought we were going to start, but I'm glad we're here. Um, Because today we're going to be talking about victim blaming. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I've had more, I've had way too many guests come on the podcast and explain their own um, journeys with like sexual assault and rape Mm -hmm. and... I think what's interesting about what you said about, you know, you starting your podcast and wanting to achieve an orgasm as you were, you know, growing into that and learning how to achieve an orgasm. You also learned about all of the other intersections that affect totally sexual health. And it's not just like a have an orgasm and your 
and there's nope. nothing else. Have an orgasm and recognize how you've been having sex and how you've been trained to have sex by this patriarchal system and this culture where rape culture is very prevalent. Um, I can recount a lot of times that I did things sexually that I did not necessarily want to do because I thought that sex was all about pleasing the man and doing what he wanted. Um, there was never really like self pleasure focused. It was like, you have to find a person and also this really harmful narrative that um, men, specifically cis men are the only ones interested in sex. And that's what they want from you. And when you're having sex, yeah, you should cater to them and they'll do a bunch of things to you and maybe it'll work out. But the goal really is to get him off because I don't know if you guys learned about this in health class this way, but it was like, oh, how many did, times did you have sex was like delineated by how many times the penis came. Whoa. What you know? a class. No. Well, I, or like how, <laughs> not in class or, but even in like with our friends or whatever, mm -hmm. how many times did you have sex? You know, it's like, oh, how many times did he come? Interesting. In you, not from blowjobs, but also blowjobs are sex. Yeah. But they're separate. When you're young, they're separate. They're bases. Yeah. They're bases. <laughs> I was in a high school where uh, <laughs> I was in a Catholic high school where anal sex was just like, you're still a virgin. The poop hole loophole. Yes. Yes. And I'm just like, I know it well. Ah! I mean, I've never used it, but I've heard people who have used it. <laughs> I, yeah. And I, a lot of people like it, but I just don't understand how we decided that one was better. I think that they were teaching how to not get pregnant. Probably. In, a, in a lot of these either religions and health classes, like our whole thing was condoms and contraception. And, you know, and I was like, if you really want to teach pleasure, teach uh, sex with people with the same genitals, you can't get pregnant and teach self pleasure because you won't get pregnant no matter how many times you try. And yeah, teach pleasure. Like, obviously, it is very important <laughs> to not have babies before you're ready. But there's so much more about sex than that. It's also a pretty simple, like once you know the ins and outs of how your body works, it's not something that you need like to learn about multiple times. Uh, you know what I mean? I feel like you can always, like I still have issues coming sometimes. But now that I know the way to do it, it is easier. And I do think you can train yourself to come in different ways too. So like you can always be learning and I think you should always be learning and be curious and stuff. But yeah, once like, once, once you know how to put out, a condom on, who's going to, oh, why do you, oh, that is, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. 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 You, once you learn what birth control is, it's like, mm -hmm. we don't need to continuously teach it. It just needs to be a resource that's available. It needs and, to be available. Yeah. Yeah. But there's just so much more and it's, and if they get recalled, we need to know about that. Yes. Too. And expired, <laughs> but yes. you know, it really is a very short lesson in school of just like check if your condoms are expired, just like you check that your spinach yeah. is expired, you know, totally. like exactly. vibes. Yeah. Just know your way around it. Um, <laughs> but something that doesn't get talked about a lot is rape culture in schools. And mm -hmm. I think that that is a, like a huge breeding ground for all of this, like really, really toxic behavior. Mm -hmm. So 
for people who like are unsure about what it is, what is victim blaming? Um, victim blaming is if you hear that someone has been assaulted to automatically assume they are lying um, and then make that known in any way, shape or form. Um, and basically siding with the predator um, and making rape culture continue even more. And because something that I see quite often now and like conversations that I've personally had to host have very much been like, well, post me too, like victim blaming isn't happening. And who is, you know, what happens if men get wrongly accused? Mm. So what would you say to that, you know, beautiful devil's advocate kind of push? I mean, the stats are very cut and dry. 95% of female identifying people have some kind of assault happen to them. Um, That's not like debatable. And I think what is and seems debatable to those people who would want to play devil's advocate is what constitutes as assault. And I think they'll try to play within the boundaries of it and be like, well, that doesn't really count because of this. And that doesn't really count because of this. And that is victim blaming. And, or they'll say, what was she wearing? Uh, What were they doing? What did they, um, how were they asking for it? Which is, blaming and shaming and also not taking into account that like people have the ability to be in a room naked with someone and the person says, I don't want to be doing this anymore. People have the ability, even at that late stage to say, okay, you know, like there, I feel like that's often what's um, brought up is like, well, we were naked and, you know, like it's like consent can be pulled at any point of your um, contact with a person. hundred percent. And I think, I think too, like, I don't know why people forget that like everyone has free will. Like I feel. Yeah. Like- <laughs> and we're not, And I mean, we are animals in so many ways. And I think people will use this argument too, is, oh, we're just animals or whatever. And we're like, okay, then how come cows aren't wearing pants? Like we don't do everything that animals do. We have so many other things that we do and that like we've catered our routines to society because we live in a society and we understand that assault has a mental impact on other people and repercussions in those people's lives. Um, and, And sometimes repercussions... I mean, not all the time will they see legal repercussions, but I think some people feel guilt sometimes if they're not aware of really the rules of consent. And like, I think we have, and then when they find out that they did something wrong and sometimes they do have remorse, um, sometimes they just haven't been raised with the tools to know what consent is. Um, sometimes they are living within this very like toxic masculine view um, or I've had friends who have said they've done things just because that's how they were taught um, that no meant just keep trying 
Um, and that's really harmful for them as well. Um, it's hard for like this culture to perpetuate people hurting each other and people being in danger. If their main concern is being accused, then learn the rules, you know? I know I, my least favorite argument is like, I'm scared to get accused. I am not scared because I understand what consent is. It's not that hard. Yeah. I mean, and it's all how you respond to it. I've had people who have reached out to, um, their assaulters. Is that the word? Um, perpetrators. Yeah. They're perpetrators. Um, and say, this felt really bad to me. And the person said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Like, how can I make it better? Whatever. And I've had people who have reached out and the person gaslights them and says, that's not what happened. You wanted it, you know, blaming them again. Um, there's this really great triangle. Have you ever seen the rape culture triangle? No, I haven't. It's basically, it like looks like the food pyramid. It's a triangle. Um, and it's got all these levels of what rape culture is and what feeds into it. So at the top, we've got explicit violence, um, rape, um, murder, violence, violent rape, gang rape. Oh, wait, sorry. Gang rape, murder, violence, rape, um, molestation and dosing. And then, um, there's the degradation part, which is um, stealthing, which is covert condom removal while having sex, um, threatening, groping, safe word violations, revenge porn, uh, flashing and exposing people, upskirt photos, non-consensual sex videos, um, stalking and following. And then we have the normalization, which the sex videos kind of, and stalking and following kind of fall into this one too, because people will say, oh, that's totally not like, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but I've seen people show other people videos of themselves having sex that they had taped without the other person's knowledge. Um, and I had to call out. <laughs> don't fucking live like that. Okay. That's nuts. Oh yeah. my God. I've had to call out being like, this is fucked up. Does this person know that you took this A? Do they know that you're showing people like, um, yeah. And then also a normalization is whistling, catcalling, unsolicited dick pics, rape jokes, unwanted touch, non-sexual even, um, unequal pay, locker room banter, sexist attitudes, and boys will be boys. Um, anything that just like absolves perpetrators of like the, what's it called? Like their responsibility. The their responsibility, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and what's what's really interesting as we like continue to have these conversations is that there are women getting involved. And I, I think that this, this goes very much against like the feminist movement and what it means to be a feminist, but also like not all women are feminists. And like, not all women support women. And, and part of the mm. reason why I reached out to you is because uh, you reposted this really like harmful video from Ellen Pompeo, mm. who like spoke about her experience with Harvey Weinstein. And like, basically, like, she just said that, like, it didn't happen to her. So it couldn't have happened. Right. 
Yeah, so I will say that is an old video. It came out right after all of his initial accusations. And she basically was saying, well, I've been in rooms with Harvey Weinstein. He's never done anything to me. Like, you know, victim blaming 101. But I do think a lot of women who think that way, it's internalized. It's what we've learned from society. I actually used to really think that way in a lot of respects, which is... Um, hard to even think about, but I remember when the Louis C.K. accusations came out of him, you know, masturbating in front of colleagues. Um, I went to therapy and I remember ranting and being like, these women are just trying to take him down. Like they said, yes, like all of these really like horrible, like harmful things. And um, I even went as far to say to my therapist, uh, not well. Okay. So she, then she said to me, um, well, don't you think he knew he was doing something wrong? He got them blackballed in their careers. You know, like he ended their careers. Don't you think that he knew that there was something fucked up that he did? And I was like, fuck their careers. I go, they probably wouldn't have made anything funny which is an insane thing as a comedian <laughs> with a vulva, um, now with a feminist podcast, like I genuinely went through those emotions and she goes, whoa, 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 back up. And I was like, what? And she's like, you make funny stuff, don't you? And I was like, yeah, I make really funny stuff. She's like, why don't you think other women would make funny stuff? And I was like, I don't know. Like I am such a fan of so many, but there is a lot of internalized misogyny. And uh, there's also this like boys club element to a lot of things where I'm sure Ellen Pompeo was like, oh, I'm the only one who can hang, which it's not hanging. It's not being a chill girl. It's subjecting yourself and anybody else like you in your position to more of that same treatment. Yeah, it's like the the cool girl notion. Yep. Which is, it's so terrifying, but I really appreciate you bringing that up because honestly, like me too. Uh, I was like very much probably like anti-feminist in high school to say the least. Like, Hell very... yeah. Oh my God. Feminist was a gross word. I remember, you know? Yeah. I like really was not down to do any of it. And it, like, it's, it's interesting for me too. I have this nonprofit, mm -hmm. I do all this work, but like, you know, seven to 10 years ago, like, mm -mm, mm -hmm. she would have never like, she... I am a recovering pick me a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Honestly, you should, you should patent that because I think we're all trying to like, I'll write it down. Get, get, yeah, no, recovering pick me girl is like a lot of us who have done the work or are doing the work. But um, as we mentioned earlier, like off recording, we think that Ellen probably um, apologized for what she said and stuff like that. I think so, yeah. But um, I don't think it like disregards, because I know that when this Harvey Weinstein came out, thing came out, there were like what 90 women that came forward and two actually were able to make like legal cases. Mm -hmm. Was that the stupid number? Yeah. I don't remember that. Well, it was, it was something ridiculous where there was just like an absurd amount of women with very parallel stories. 
-hmm. And I think only two or three were able to convict him, which Mm -hmm. is just like, that's a different podcast episode. But I think that this like air and tone is, is way more prevalent in, in like everyone's everyday lives. So I think it's important to bring it up. Yeah. I remember in um, like eighth grade, there was this kid who kept sticking his lacrosse stick, like the hilt of it, the end of it, like up our butts, like when we would just like walk around school. And me and my friends ended up taking him to the principal's office because we were like, I have a lot of principal stories in this oh, episode. But um, I remember people being like, why would you do that? Like, why couldn't you just like be cool about it? I'm like, because he's shoving a stick up my ass all the time. Like, it's literally perverted and like it's assault. Jesus Christ. I'm shocked that, and it's really interesting too, because I know a lot of people, even myself included, have all these like really traumatizing like elementary school assault experiences. And like, what the fuck were the teachers doing? What were they doing? I also, my friend, um, Gabrielle Bluestone is a really great, she's a producer, she's a writer, and she has this article coming out soon about a girl that we grew up with who, um, she was like one of the first big like sex tape scandals uh, and her tape was like disseminated around. She was only in eighth grade and her tape was, yep, sent around the entire city. It made it like across the country. Um, people knew who she was and she had so much scrutiny from it and punishment from the school and the guy who sent it around and the, and the girl who sent it around with him never got any punishment for it and it's literally a crime what the fuck yeah and everybody was like oh it's her fault she's she wanted to do this she put it out there um but it never would have gotten to any more people it was supposed to be between her and him was this guy her age Holy shit. Yeah. This is the early aughts, basically. So it's like Paris Hilton culture. Um, A lot of celebrity leaked uh, sex tapes were coming out. Um, And it was always really detrimental for the women in them. Not really for the men. No, it's never. This kind of stuff doesn't. I think rape culture does affect men, but just not comparable to the way it affects women. Yeah, not in the same way. Mm Mm-mm. And there are, there's rape that happens between men. Of course, every gender is capable of committing rape, but because we live in a patriarchal society that structures things for cis, white, hetero men to get away with things, it is typically those people who are perpetrating the most. Mm-hmm. 100%. I think the stat is like 90% of perpetrators are like cis white men. Uh, no way. It's like, it's like a crazy amount. We have to figure that out. You can put that in a post. That's a quick Either way. Whoa. Yeah. Too many. Oh, too many. But so how, because. But it makes sense. If you're at the top of the food chain in a society that's made for you, you start seeing other people as just like a means for you to enjoy your life and not as people. Yeah, I, I'm still, I'm still like my brain is still fathoming that there is a sex tape of two 13 year olds 
Like just there's three tapes of this one girl that got sent around. Oh my fucking God. And she's not doing well. She's in jail now, or she's like out on bail. Like you'll, I'll send you the story when it comes out. It is mind blowing. Jesus Christ. Like, also the fact that like people want, are willing to, like if somebody texted me today and was like, here's the sex tape of these children, mm. I wouldn't even click. I would feel so disgusting. I don't even think we had the vernacular at the time to understand that that was child pornography or revenge porn, like, or a came illegal in New York in like 2018. Holy shit. Yeah. I actually don't know the Canadian stats, but that's fucking ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So was Um, this like, was this a common thing in, where did you grow up? Can I ask? New York city. Okay. Was the community like very, like, was your upbringing very like because like I grew up in a Toronto suburb so like yeah, very much no, my I was suburb. a city kid I was gossip girl basically or like lived amongst them and um yeah no I mean people were hooking up early they were um they it was just very trying to be adult before you knew how to adult. And did that lead to any, I mean, like all of these stories sound very fucking traumatic, but did it lead to specific mm-hmm. traumas that are relevant to, to kind me. of the rape? Yeah. To you. Um, yeah. I've had a lot of people in my life assaulted by other people um, that I know. And most of them have never reported them. Um, now they are starting to more. Mm-hmm. I actually, um, one of a friend of ours, uh, she was assaulted by a teacher at the University of Michigan. And she has um, been leading the charge and finding other people that it happened to by that same teacher and is trying to make the university take accountability for what happened. Um, There, I had a sixth grade teacher that only in 2020, they find out had child porn and had assaulted young, young children. Um, My senior year, I edited my newspaper, or my yearbook and we were asked to put in a tribute for a teacher who was a known predator. Like he would stand at the bottom of stairs and look up our skirts. He asked me to keep in touch with him one summer, like in not a cool way. Um, And we made this known to the person who was in charge and they were just like, sorry, like you had, he died. So you have to put a tribute. And it's like, it just really tells you, um, how important people think your safety is and that they'd rather protect that man's or person's legacy um, and reputation over 
the feelings of students and the feelings of people that are victims. Yeah, and people who are alive. Like, why do we care? Yeah. People are dead. Yeah, no, whenever like, there's somebody like who dies that's problematic, I don't even learn about them. I'm like, you had your time. Yeah, you lived it, you loved it, you did it, and you're done. Like, yeah. I don't know why they need any more attention. Like, no, it just, and it, like, I also grew up in a time where, I mean, we're still in a time where it's debatable if Michael Jackson did anything wrong. You know, there are people vehemently saying, no, those kids just wanted attention. What? They're kids. You know, like no family can make their child that good of an actor, I don't think. Um, And if they are willing to traumatize the kid and say that and go through all these legal things, like, well, then that's really fucked up too. And I do blame those parents. But um, like, yeah, when you see someone still succeeding um, and not being held accountable, and able to be a larger than life figure, even though you know what they have allegedly done, it tells you that, okay, well, if you're good enough, you can be a rapist, you can be a pedophile. No one's gonna hold you to any standard as long as you know you have enough money or you're in a position of power. Um, and it's really scary. It's like, the people with the most power should be the most accountable. You'd think. Right? Yeah. I mean, what's what I find really interesting is like, luckily I've, I've had, I would say comparably like minuscule sexual assault. Like mm-hmm. everything's been very like touch and go. It, it's brought in its own trauma, but it's nothing comparable to rape um in like my mind but what's what I've you know kind of come to to realize is like watching somebody get assaulted and like having someone in your circle who is going through that trauma is also traumatic oh my god when we heard about our friend with this teacher like it was like a gut punch and like Like, it's just so sad that you have no control over what can happen to the people that you love and even going to like different feminist rallies and like every school has their, there's like every university like has their slew of rapists. Like they just do. That's just kind of what it is. And you can go to all the things, but you see all the victims and you see all the survivors and you're just mm-hmm. kind of like, like, what is the point? Or like, like, can I yeah. even protect myself? Have you ever seen Promising Young Woman? Yes, I just watched it. It's so good. And I think it's so important. And I think it's such a massive part of rape culture too, which is if the person's been drinking, well, like they were asking for it. And um, I'm not going to spoil the movie, but it ends the way, the only way it could. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's triumphant, but it's heartbreaking and it's, um, I'm glad that we're having these conversations now and that there are movies like this being made. Um, There's another show by Michaela Cole that came out before Promising Young Woman called I May Destroy You. And that one is really, really powerful um, and good. Um, Like trigger warning, obviously, but like these movies, 
they hit so hard because they are so real. Um, and they'll make you rethink things that have happened to you or things that you've done. I had some guy friends call me and go, wow, like this movie taught me a lot. Um, and I really need to like reconsider some things and I have some people to apologize to and, you know, like really heartening stuff. Um, but then yeah, the disheartening thing or just another layer of like learning is like, you're like, oh, okay. That was, that was sex that wasn't consensual. Am I going to call it rape? I don't know. Some people, it takes a while to get to what you want to call it, but it is important to be able to discern what assault is and also what you're comfortable with. Um, I know a lot of people, myself included, who have just gone through sex because the guy was trying so hard that you were, or the girl, honestly, I've had that encounter too, um, that they're just, they're just not letting you out of the room. So you're like, okay, I'll, I'll just do it. Um, yeah, to like avoid, you just like want it to be over. At you want it to be over. Yeah. And then after you feel weird and like to myself, sometimes I feel guilty doing that to myself, you know, like, I'm like, I really should have looked out for me more, but also that person shouldn't have, you know, like there's that internalized victim blaming that comes out. Oh, I shouldn't have you know, just been in the room. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have gone through with it. I should have, you know, like there are different responses to things. They're like freeze, flight, and fawn. Um, you can tense up, freeze, and then you end up letting them do their thing basically um, and assault you. You can flight, run away, um, which is good, could do that. Um, but these are natural things that happen. My response is fawn. I act, you know, like I'm more into it than I am. And I don't know. I, I mean, I, I can expect that it's because I'm still seeking that attention and that approval. Um, and like, please pick me, pick me. Um, but yeah, you can't guilt yourself for your response. And you the just try to be more girl. aware of it next time. Yeah, I right? know. And it's a lot of internalized like trauma and experiences and like different notions that like present themselves in your life or in your childhood or whatever. But I think something that was important that you mentioned was just like the media representation. Cause I feel like now there are certain shows that I just literally cannot watch cause they depict like serious sexual assault and it's like a joke. Like, yeah. Or it's romanticized. So many early 2000s movies for me. I just like cannot do anymore because I'm like, this is gross. Um, I want to bring up actually, have, do you know the, the plot of Coming to America 2? No. It is completely based on a rape. So Coming to America 1, Eddie Murphy comes to America. He's a mm-hmm. prince. He's trying to be all cool and whatever. He fi- falls in love with one woman. And I think they end up together, but uh, he is there with his like best friend slash like some kind of official who's like there to make sure that he gets an heir. And so the plot of number two is that back then the friend drugged Eddie Murphy and had Leslie Jones sleep with him and rape him while he was passed out. And then she got pregnant with an heir and the, the movie is about 
Gerard Carmichael as that heir or whatever. And I was like, this is 2020 or 2021. Like, how did this storyline get past so many people in the writer's room without somebody bringing up that like, wait, is there no trauma that he would have endured finding out 20 years later that he got fucked while passed out? Like, I think that's terrifying. It's really disturbing. It's just like, why base a movie? Also, why make a second movie, to be honest? But like, also- I mean, we love the first. That's why it's a good, it's good cash grab. I just don't understand why or how it got past so many different people. I mean, I think it goes back to like, the rape triangle that you were talking about and like people are just so desensitized like they're just so numb to it and so like oh some people's favorite jokes are rape jokes and I'm like that's a problem you know that's a that's a little indicator for me that like you probably aren't great with consent in like normal life it's it's so interesting because I I feel like specifically like people in these spaces like sometimes I feel like I'm in a bubble and like totally like I don't have a friend that would make a rape joke I just don't like I I and plus like how where am I going out like I'm not seeing people like Canada's been in a crazy lockdown for the last two years so it's not like I'm meeting douchebags Mm -hmm. I would it would probably be different if I don't see them on Twitter you don't see them on TikTok they're fucking rampant (laughs) my algorithm is like Anytime I see those like weird misogynistic rape joke things or like women. I don't get those. I get, there's a great TikToker. Her name is Drew Afulo. And I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm not sure. But um, she, you see these TikToks of guys saying like the most misogynistic, most like rape culture things. And then she comes in and she just starts laughing. And that's who I'm talking. Yeah. And she breaks down what they've said was wrong. And more often than not, like they'll shut down their accounts after. Like they really thought they were doing something. She's huge. Yeah, she's amazing. And every time I see these TikToks, I'm like, why is this on my fucking algorithm? Because it's you don't even know that she's coming. Right. Like, what the hell? And I always look down and I'm like, oh, it's true. Okay, cool. (laughs) Like I didn't end up on this side of TikTok. But it's so skewed. And it's like, it kind of like when these conversations arise, it makes me think like, like what is our best method in combating this when like our direct circle doesn't necessarily look like that? Yeah, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think she's doing a great job. Mm-hmm. I think anytime on the internet, not that it's healthy, but anytime on the internet that you can make a really strong point in a thread where someone's saying something harmful, like you have the backing now of other people. Like all of us are learning at the same time. And like, if you, you say something like they'll agree and yeah, you'll get attacked by these like horrible people. And yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah. I, or if you're just around anybody who's, who says something micro, 
But if you're mm-hmm. not around anybody, I mean, that's great. You've created a really great circle for yourself. I just don't have patience anymore. Right. I'm like, I do this for my job. I don't need to do this in my personal life. Like, mm-hmm. peace out. I'm, I know a lot of comedians and. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I find myself um, talking about it a lot. Do you feel like, cause I've heard terrible stories about like women comedians going on the road with men and it being like a terrible experience. Do you think that the culture, like the comedian culture is getting slightly better or do you feel like it's just as worse? It's just like, um, I think it's definitely still bad in a lot of ways, but the way that we're saying that like a bunch of us are learning, like I'm not really touring with those people. If somebody asks me to open like this weekend, I'm opening for J.R. Guzman. I've toured with him before. He is a lovely person. I feel very safe with him. Um, the other person opening with us is Elon Altman. I feel very safe. You know, like these are people that I'm genuinely friends with and are would not do things like that. And I know that because of how they speak in conversation, which is not always like the only indicator. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if something were to happen, I would bring it up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what cha- what's changing things too, is um, we have more women in comedy. We have more non-binary people, um, more trans people that like have also had similar histories. And so we have a more of a camaraderie, whereas like it used to, I mean, it still is. Sometimes you'll show up and you're the only person on the lineup without Dick. Um, but yeah, I think it is getting better because there's more of us now. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd i say it's like, I'd say at least now we have a little bit of hope. I feel like before there was just no hope. It was just like acceptance. Mm. Now there's like a tad bit of hope. There's so much work to do, but at least like. Yeah, have it ebbs and flows. That's the thing that concerns me with any type of progress is like, there's been how many waves of feminism for like, where are we going in the ebbs? We come back in the flows, but like, what's happening, you know, like, are people just like giving up and like feeling hopeless? Like maybe, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think we just have to keep having these conversations and like as young as my first time, like being like, Hey, these are your genitals. You keep them to yourself unless, you know, you're old enough and somebody also wants to show you theirs. No, absolutely. And yeah, like I really appreciate you having this conversation with me because it wasn't as heavy as I I thought it was going to be, but I think that that's also kind of good. It's very digestible. Uh, and yeah. I think some people need that. Um, and it can be digestible. It doesn't have to be so charged. Of course, it is a charged conversation, especially if like you're talking to the person that like, did that to you. That's way more charged of conversation than somebody making a joke around you and you going, you know, mm-hmm. I don't really love that. And here's why. And then you see how they respond to it. I always tell them to watch promising young woman. And then if they don't like it, I explain why they're wrong and what they could have learned from it. I literally made an entire episode about it because I was like, I think this needs to be shown in high schools. Yeah, absolutely. 
No, I, I really agree. And I really appreciate you like taking the time to share your own personal stories and experiences. Um, sure. And for people who are interested in hearing about your coming of age, oh, uh, where can journey. they, your come journey, where can they find you? Come find me on the internet. I am Remy Casimir. My podcast is How Come, spelled the way you think. Um, we have a website, howcomepodcast.com. Uh, if you want to come to any live shows, if you want to see my stand up, remycasimir.com. I like TikTok. I'm on it. My likes are open. If you want to get on my side of TikTok, you can scroll through my shit. Um, but yeah, this has been a blast. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you.